All right. If you want to grab a seat. Thanks for connecting with someone else. I know for some of you that is uh, not a favorite thing, uh, but you seems like understand that's valuable. For some, you were wondering why I stopped you. So thanks for doing that. I uh, encourage you, as always, to continue doing that after our service and um, or, or kind of continue that uh, as we head out for some treats and coffee afterwards. Uh, it's good to see you. My name is Drew. I'm a pastor here at Hope and um, thrilled you're here today. Uh, and I, I did not tell my wife to say she was glad that I was around, but that was kind of nice. You got to remember those moments. You don't always get all those moments. So that was really great. I'm still just kind of in that. I'm just feeling soaking in the, my wife telling everyone she was glad that I was around this week. <laughs> it feels really good. Um, I was glad this week uh, for multiple things, but one of them actually just happened yesterday. Um, I had the opportunity to go to a memorial service, a, a funeral or a celebration of life service. And uh, it's something that I, I was excited to, I don't know excited is the word, but, uh, but I was thankful to get invited to and be able to go to, but also, you know, there's something where you go to and you're like, this is going to be different. This isn't like I'm going to a movie and I'm going to leave. Like, well, that was fun. Um, but it was something that really encouraged me. It was something where I got to sit and hear uh, about the life of a person who loved Jesus and uh, like cared for a lot of people, hear these great stories uh, about really truly a celebration of his life. I got to meet a bunch of people that I've never met that I don't know why I ever would have met because they were from all different places and we all were just there to celebrate this life and hear about all these ways that this person had cared for them and uh, built them up and um, encouraged them. Hear phrases like, I just don't know what I'd do without him in my life and uh, he was like a brother to me and, uh, and even just sharing those similar moments where you go like, oh yeah, yeah. And, and I haven't had a ton of interaction um, with him, and uh, even in the few moments I had with him, I got to f- feel and experience those things that these people had known him his whole life. It was just a really encouraging thing. I actually left, uh, got in my car, and was driving home, and just felt like really filled, like filled. I was thankful. I was really encouraged. I was challenged. I thought, like, oh, what's it going to be like someday when people sit and celebrate my life? Um, and so I know Kelly will be there. She's thankful for me. Um, at least she'll say there was one time that Drew stepped up when I was sick. <laughs> All right, let's celebrate that. <laughs> I, but I left like, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling, just filled like uh, thankfulness and encouragement and like life from hearing of someone else's life. I think it had to do a lot with um, uh, this person being a builder or a grower, someone who took the things around them and through the power of Christ built something. Obviously, we heard the story built a life and a family and friendships, but wasn't someone who was known uh, for necessarily like tearing down the walls around them so others would have to rebuild, but, but building and um, adding, it, it was encouraging. I think mean, just hearing the story of someone else doing that encourages you to want to be that. And, uh, and I think Sometimes I just desire that. I might leave a conversation or maybe leave a meeting uh, or just leave uh, an interaction. And I think, wow, that was like, that took a lot out of me. That sort of like knocked down some of my walls or whatever, whatever that would look like. 
instead of like, wow, leaving a conversation or a meeting or leaving a person or a place and thinking like, I felt built up. I felt like I was stronger from those people. I think that's a life that we all aspire to. I think that's a place we all want to be. It's some of the reason why some of you are here. Uh, Either you're looking for that or you have felt that, have had it happen to you in a community like this. I think this happens in other places. I remember uh, encouraging friends to play sports in high school, and maybe I didn't use the language of like, it will build you into a stronger person, but I remember saying, you got to come play baseball. There's something about it. You just, you like get friends, and you learn some skills, and you get to play together and win a game. There's all these things that built you up, and I think it's a desire we have and scripture today, as we get into the book of Ephesians, we're in the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter four, it's going to start talking, what does this look like to be a people who build, our builders, and ultimately because we are led by and empowered by the ultimate builder. So that's my hope today, is we leave encouraged and maybe reminded of our mission of what, what are we supposed to be doing here as a church and just as people in our world and I hope we leave encouraged as I left yesterday, encouraged uh, to continue building and growing. Uh, we've been in Ephesians, just a quick summary. Ephesians Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us who we are, what God has done, how he's rescued us, saved us, how we were dead, how we we're pursuing our own flesh. We often were found to be selfish and just doing things out of our own desires and how God changes that in us. He says, no, 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 that's not what you're created for. And he rescues us from death and brings us into life. Uh, we've been talking about Larry Crabb, the uh, counselor, uh, uses these terms. He says, we all desire deep within us safety and significance. And that's what the gospel gives us, a safety and a significance. It fills that. If it, it literally fills us in our soul and our spirit. And, um, and then in Ephesians 4, it switches in the book to say, not, now if that's true, if you're full of that, if you've filled with that, then what does the overflow of that look like? And we started last week by, uh, in the beginning of four, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So I urge you now to live a life. Now your life turns, you're filled, and now you live this calling that you've been called to. This, this image of, uh, of being filled, we even hear this prayer at the end of Ephesians 3, that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. And now, now what do we do with that? We just sit and go like, oof, God, God brings safety and significance to me. Now, now we're like empowered to move together as a church. We're moved. Uh, at the beginning of Ephesians 4 encourages us that we're unified in this, that we're together. It reminds me of Lord of the Rings, this group of people, all different coming together on one mission. And we were reminded last week that we live in a world that's divided. It's broken apart, that, that pushes people to different ends and, and puts us in battle towards one another. And we often have seen that in the church. And what, is, what would it look like for our church to be one that would be around one spirit and one Jesus and one father and, uh, and one baptism? Like, what does it look like to be, a, it, uh, what does oneness look like in our church? And so the discussion today continues with that. He, he's setting up, he's going to get real practical later in Ephesians, but he's just setting up and saying, okay, if that's true of who you are in Christ, then as that overflows, there's things that looks like. As you move forward, this is what the people of God look like. Unified, together, on one mission, Jesus' mission. And so today we start in uh, Ephesians 4, 
verse 7. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, you can open your own Bible or uh, uh, the text will all be up on the screen as well. And we're going to start right here in Ephesians 4, 7 and continue that discussion. What does it look like to be the people who are called to this uh, calling of unity and humility um, out of our fullness in Christ? So here we go. We'll start in uh, verse 7. But to each one of you, so it says, but to, to each one of us, so it first said, like, you're all one, you're all one, you're all one, unified. But to each one of us, so that's going to say, but, but you are individual people. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We'll just start there. Apportioned, not a word that you probably use ever in your life. I don't use that word except when I'm reading Ephesians 4. Um, maybe I'll use the word portion in my life uh, if I'm talking about like what I'm eating or uh, how much you're eating. Uh, uh, as you first hear this word, uh, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ's portion. We could, in reading this, quickly go like, okay, so God gives diff- each of us different amounts of grace, uh, maybe different amounts of gifts. Maybe that's because of my value or maybe because I worked harder, so then he paid me more. I think really quickly I, I slap onto this verse uh, my experience in like working a job working the hours, working hard, and you get paid so much for what you do. I think uh, in other versions it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift of grace. I think be care- we want to be careful. This isn't saying like Christ is going to give some of you grace and some maybe a little less grace, and you're really awesome, so he's going to give you a ton of grace. Generally, Christ right, has died and risen, and none of us deserved any grace. And he's, that's what grace is. So he's given us this great gift of life, and love, and, and uh, made us alive. And that's, that's this incredible amount of grace. But he has given each of us, he's going to go on, a different version of, uh, not a version, a, a different gift, right? Different gifts, but all this grace kind of gets poured on us, and then out of it comes people who are different. So I think he's just trying to emphasize that in the passage before, he's saying one, one, one. We're all one. But he's saying, but you're not all like, the same person, right? This is what's cool about how God's made us. We're all different parts of this body that together come and serve a purpose. We're not all just copies of each other. And he actually goes on to explain, this is why it says. So he's about to say, hey, this is why it says in this passage, this is actually from Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So he decides here to quote Psalm 68, which on first reading does not clear anything up, at least in my first reading of it. I went, oh, that's why it says this? What does that have to do with this? I I think to understand, maybe we need to look into Psalm 68 a little bit. What is Psalm 68 saying? And this would be a psalm that uh, you'd hope people would actually have known. He's maybe saying this even in a way that's like indicating just from this part of this psalm that you might understand the whole of this psalm. Like when a friend quotes a movie quote and like the whole kind of plot of that movie kind of comes with that quote. You understand the context of it. Well, Psalm 68 um, does help us understand what, G, what, what Paul is saying here about us as people. And it actually really uh, connects even to historically the day today that we're celebrating, which is Palm Sunday. We're going to get there though. So Psalm 68 uh, is a psalm that has been used as a victory march. And so it's a psalm that the words 
could have been written actually as a way to celebrate like a great king coming home from victory, or even if you can imagine the people marching with this king back from a great battle that he's won. And so you, this group of people marching and almost singing these words uh, of saying, hey, this, our king has, has won, or maybe even the words uh, marching to and from battle, but that kind of a feel. So here's some of the words in Psalm 68 that we didn't get in the passage, but we get here. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God, but many the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Do you hear this? You could be like cheering this, drums playing, uh, uh, saying these words. And as we go on in verse 17, the chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his Sanctuary, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Do you, do you feel that? That's actually um, part of the passage that we, is quoted there. This idea even a king would come in, the army would come in and, and win a victory and then even take like, some of the spoils of where it set captives free that, that the enemy has taken and, and even take some of the gold or silver or the treasure and you're bringing that back, now you're marching back with with the captives and that treasure. Another part just feels like that march. Your, your procession, God, has come into view. Can you imagine this? You're like, you're marching over the hill. We see you coming. The procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians. Uh, with them are the young women playing the timbrels. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. This one really gives me that image of like, uh, of God the King coming back from victory, the musicians playing, the people cheering, the celebration of a king and his victory. So this, this is a, a psalm that brings that to mind. So it gives us this imagery of, of, a, of a God, and he's saying, he's referring here, right, to what Jesus has done. He has went into battle, and he set his captives free, and now he's coming back with these gifts. We see this somewhere else. So you see this all over scripture, but we see this somewhere else where this happens. It's one of those moments where as I'm reading scripture, I think like, oh, that's kind of cool. Where, where else have I seen that? And where maybe even in the gospels have I seen this? It's really great. This passage ends up being on the same week that historically in the church calendar, we celebrate Palm Sunday. Not Psalm Sunday, but Palm Sunday. Maybe some of you grew up celebrating this. Um, it's the week before the Sunday before Easter, it's that we celebrate historically the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, and then we have Holy Week all week, and then we're at the end of Holy Week on Good Friday, Jesus is crucified, and he dies, and then on Easter, he raises from the dead. Now you don't have to come next week. That's what happens next week. Jesus raises from the dead. I guess we talk about that every week. Um, please come next week. Don't take that as a, a sign. God, give me a sign. I don't need to go on Easter. Drew gave me the sign. This is a week where uh, we call it Palm Sunday because uh, traditionally uh, there's, uh, we have these images of people holding palm branches as Jesus comes into town on a donkey and them celebrating and singing him. Uh, and a lot's kind of going on here. Even as a kid, I remember we would get, we'd get palm branches and we'd wave them and, and sing Hosanna. And sometimes you'd put them on the ground and you'd walk on them. Um, it was this kind of celebration that happened. Well, it happened in the, in the Gospels, and a few things are happening there that might even help us understand 
why this is so important we understand this idea of this king coming and marching because very much so they're acting out the same thing that this psalm is acting out. In fact, maybe that psalm would have been one that they would have heard singing. Uh, one of the places we see that's important to understand Palm Sunday is uh, we hear uh, in Zechariah a call to this, an image to this moment. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Israel. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We're, we're given this, this prophecy here. We hear this like, one day your king will come and he'll be riding on a donkey. And so there's this moment where Jesus rides into town on a donkey. Usually a king would be riding on his like war horse, but he's coming on this donkey. Uh, pretty incredible. We actually see the people recognize this as they say the things they say. This is the actual account from Matthew 21. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted. This is them shouting to Jesus on his donkey. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save us or save us we pray. So saying save us, save us. This happened right after Lazarus was raised from the dead. If you remember this story, Jesus' friend Lazarus died and Jesus came to his tomb and said, get out of there. And Lazarus raises from the dead and then, and then it just spreads quickly. People go, holy cow, this guy raises people from the dead. He has the power to bring people back from the dead and people want to see him and hang out with him. And the next day, people come to gather to try to get time with Jesus and see Jesus. And then he enters in. So there's this... Um, all this excitement around who Jesus is. And so as he enters, this crowd that was at the area he entered at least, start cheering, come save us. And they greet him as if a king was entering back from victory. I wonder even if they thought maybe this is, this is the one who was gonna end death and war. Maybe they thought this is really it. He just raised Lazarus from the dead and he's coming now into Jerusalem. He's gonna bring us back the power we have. These are people who have lost uh, their power, lost uh, really their citizenship in a way that as, as Rome has come in. And so they would love if they could be their place again in Jerusalem. This is the one who's coming now maybe to push out Rome or maybe he already has won this victory. And so there's a celebration in this feel of a king coming back. In fact, Zechariah continues the next passage. I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from, from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. This, so he's taking away war. The war is done. There's no more need for war, battle. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. His imagery, so this person will come in on a donkey and he's the one who's going to bring peace, like final, full, the best of peace. He's going to put an end to this war from sea to sea, from the rivers to the, everywhere is going to be in his control and he'll bring peace. And so you imagine there is this celebration of this king coming, riding in that we see. We hear this uh, told in other parts of scripture in Luke. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Remember this passage is not when Jesus enters on a donkey, but when Jesus is born and enters the world. It says this is the one who's going to come and truly bring peace to all. And in John, it says, I have told you these things, this is Jesus, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is the one bringing peace. 
Um, this, this idea of bringing peace also even comes in just the fact he's riding a donkey in this passage. There's a story in 1 Samuel of Abigail where she actually brings a whole uh, uh, donkeys packed with goods and foods to King David because uh, her husband has really offended David. And she's like, please don't kill my husband. And she enters into the presence of the king with a donkey with kind of sacrifices on it. Let me offer you these things to make the king happy. What an incredible image, huh? If you knew that story and you see Jesus walking or sitting and riding in as a sacrifice to, to, to make the wrath of the king subside, there's this image of Jesus coming on this donkey. Is this image of him coming to bring peace. And it also is this great image of just celebrating victory. This is an image of uh, Henry the fifth, I believe. I do know chronologically that he came after Jesus. This isn't from that time. Uh, but this kind of image, right, of a king coming in. So in Palm Sunday and in our passage, there's this imagery that's helpful to know of this king who has went to battle. He's fought. He's got the captives back. And now he's bringing this whole group of people who are captured uh, of all these goods, of these riches, and he's bringing it back to his people, and there's a celebration. The streets are filled with palm branches and cheers, songs of this returning king. I don't know how much they understand, though, that this king actually isn't returning from battle as much as he's just entering the battlefield. He's going to end a war, but not just a war between one government and another. He's going to end the war of all wars. He's going to do battle with death and sin and Satan. He's going to put an end to it. He will gather the spoils of war and he will set the captives that were taken by the enemy, but not really necessarily what they thought. He's going to be crucified on a cross, which will bring peace to his people, to all people, and he will take the wrath of God that was due us. He'll pay for the crimes that we were owed. And he also... (laughs) will set those captives free. And he will finally have his victory march. Not on a horse, not on a donkey, but he will burst from the grave and have his victory march. Destroying death. Giving the gift to all of us of grace, which is life in him. Which is life to the fullest. We now have the gift of life and not just you're alive, but to the fullest, like fully how he intended us to have it. This is, inc- this is incredible. This is incredible news. And so as we hear in the passage, he descended, this idea of him going. You imagine, think of all the people who are in their graves. Death has got them, is holding them. And he says, no, you, you, you can't even hold my people even once you have them in the earth in their graves. And our king goes and marches in and sets those captives free. You know, in the Gospels they share, uh, it's part of the, the um, Easter story that I often forget. It says, Jesus is crucified and there was like an earthquake and there were storms. And it said, graves broke free all over. And people rose from the dead. In the moment, he went in the ground and people were set free. He brought us back with them. And now his victory march out of the grave isn't just him, but him bringing everyone with him. I love this, this uh, old 
uh, icon, this image, because it has these people literally coming out of the grave with him. He's marching back to town with all those who had once been held captive by death. What a gift. And so he's reminding us again in this passage in Ephesians 4 that we have a God who um, gives us these great gifts and he has went and done the work to rescue his people and now he is back. And he has a gift, which is this grace given to us. And then listen to the next thing he says. So Christ himself gave, it's very similar language here, gifted the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christ went, he was willing to come from heaven to send even into the earth to die, to rescue those that death has captured, those that one day death will capture and now he, he's given us a gift. And then, I love this language. And now he gives us as a gift. Oh, almost as if he went and won this victory and has come back as a king would with, with uh, horses and whatever, wagons full of treasure from this place they won battle with. But that instead of treasure and gold, it's us. He says, now I'm going to give this great gift to the world, to the church and to the world. It's, it's those that I have set free. And here it lists those uh, with these different words. It says the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are words maybe you've only heard in a church. And you think, I don't, I'm not sure what those words mean. I've heard those in contexts that are helpful, maybe unhelpful. I'll give you a little context. Who are these people? Some of these words actually aren't used a lot in Scripture and actually even from the New Testament, these meanings might have changed. But generally, this is very general, this would be something that'd be maybe interesting for you to go on a little more deep dive into what these words could mean and where they've been used. But generally, an apostle is someone who starts something new, gets something going. So God has given us these people who are going to start new things, especially if you think of this time in Ephesus in the first, the beginnings of the church, people literally are going out, starting churches, building churches, raising up leaders in churches. Prophets are people who would speak, who are maybe gifted in a way a little more than others in speaking truth, understanding how to even take God's word, like we see prophets in the Old Testament, to take God's word, what he has, and apply it, connect it to our lives. I'm going to be a person who really understands how to take the word of God and what God wants for people and connect it in his church. An evangelist is someone who, um, we, we've heard this term maybe as like a traveling evangelist, or someone might have called you an evangelist because you shared the gospel once with someone. They're like, you're an evangelist. Um, uh, I said that once to someone because then I felt like I didn't have to share the gospel with someone because I was like, you can do all that work. Um, this is someone who takes someone outside the church, most likely, and brings them into it, right? It's kind of an inviter to the body of Christ. Says, hey, you might not know this, but Christ, our King, went and, and rescued us from death. Pastors or shepherds, this word actually just is shepherd, um, someone who cares for a flock or a sheep. That's why we use that word in our church. Pastor is someone who cares for the for Christ's local flock here, um, is someone who cares and protects, is with the flock, is, is really a, even a fellow sheep who just is helping people grow and build up in Christ. A teacher, someone who can help teach, apply the gospel. 
So all these are someone who helps start new gospel communities, helps speak God's word and the gospel within the people, helps bring new people into that community, helps to just grow the people and care for the people within that gospel community, helps to continue to teach the gospel so we'd all be built up. Sometimes these words maybe can be put on, um, we slap them on the same list that we do like a CEO and director of outreach and director of this. And um, the, this is a good, evangelists are good marketing directors. <laughs> Uh, but be careful. These are really just categories. He's saying there's different people who are going to help the body of Christ be built up, to grow, help to equip the people so they know how to best serve one another and the people in the world around them. Encourage to maybe push us out sometimes of our comfort zones to, to help and care for people, remind us of what the gospel is, ultimately continue to build us and strengthen us. This is a group of people who are your trainers so that your body gets stronger your soul gets stronger. The gospel builds us, encourages us. So why equip and build up and strengthen? Well, it says here, so that the body would have unity, that we would know Jesus, that we could become mature, and we could obtain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the same term we heard prayed in, in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 ends with like, I want you to know who Christ really has made you, the work he's done. And here it's saying the body not only is praying for that important, but actually the body together, we help each other obtain that fullness of God. And the way we encourage each other, remind each other the gospel, care for each other. It's incredible. He not, not only is God in that, but he's using us. He's, he's grabbed us from this captivity we've been in and brought us in and he said, I, I saved you, but you're also the gift to each other that's going to help you continue to grow in this fullness. Prayer and God using his people, empowered by the Spirit, fills us with fullness. So what does this look like? This actually gives me another image from the Gospels, another classic uh, story from Scripture, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's a, there's a fields of people who have come to gather to hear Jesus talk. They've heard what he's been doing. And there's a moment where they don't have food. It's time to eat. And the, the disciples say, hey, we should send everyone out so they can eat. And he says, well, why don't we just stay here and eat? And then if, if you heard this story, a, a boy brings him like his dinner, his lunch, which is just a couple fish. And uh, this is what happens. Jesus says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking these five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Okay, let's do a 30-second Bible study on this. First, Jesus invites them to him. Come to me. He does this incredibly generous miracle. He asks God, could you bless this? The, he reproduces a lot of bread and a lot of fish. And then Jesus doesn't actually hand this out. He actually uses his disciples. And he says, here, give this to the people. What an image, right? Like this image of what this kind of looks like. Christ has rescued us. He's descended and he's ascended back. He has these gifts and he uses us to give these gifts to one another. This, this food and what even more than bread or fish can do, this nourishment of the gospel, this good news, this grace that we get to take and we get to hand out to people. And it's so generous 
But look at this. They all ate and were satisfied. I love that word is used. It's not like they had enough so they at least could keep listening. We gave them snacks so they'd stop like talking and they'd listen. <laughs> no, it wasn't like there was kids in church where you're like, just please stop talking for a minute. <laughs> Color this or eat this snack. They're, they're filled and they're satisfied. And so much so, I love this detail, that they picked up all these baskets of leftover. So Jesus says, come to me. He uses his disciples, his people. Hey, bring this generous gift to these people and they're full and they're satisfied and there's even more left. More people even could be here and eat. This is the image that we're getting in Ephesians 4. Hey, I've come and I've rescued you and now I'm giving you to, to the church. You together are gonna help feed one another my grace the gospel, so you continue to grow and be built up and strengthened. And there's always more. There's always some more. You say at the end, oh, I could, I could ask a friend to come. There's always more grace. We didn't use it all up. So why do we need this maturity? Why do we need this growth? Why can't I just say, yes, Jesus, and then add him to like a list of other things that are kind of helping me in life? It's because he, he's it. And it actually shares here in, in Ephesians, as we get to the end of this passage for today, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. I want you to be built up and mature and stable so that you're not thrown around between different teachings, between different worldviews of what is right and what's not right and what at least today can I say or not say. What group am I in? What group am I not in? This image of us being in a storm. Sorry, I didn't add the infants. Being in a storm, tossed. I love this. I love this picture. What a wild. Babies and they're in a storm? Or they're, sorry, is that too much? I heard a moan, so I'll, I'll turn off the kids. That wasn't real. That was photoshopped. <laughs> I didn't actually find photos. It's this idea, though, of like infants, as in this immature, it, immature being just thrown from one thing to the next. I think of this uh, clearly as I watch uh, myself and friends and kids, my own kids, uh, flipping through things. And I think of TikTok, the app where you constantly are flipping to a new thing, and how even in those, like in a minute, you can see six different views or thoughts on what is important. It's telling you what is the most valuable thing in life. What's going to bring you happiness? Even in that moment, you get these like little moments of being thrown back and forth. You may have a season where you hear a lot of one thing, and so because you're watching a lot of one thing or you're listening or reading a lot of one thing, so you're thrown that way, and then you have a new season, you're like, oh, I realize none of that is true, and you're thrown this way. Think of it as um, seeing people go through this like on a monthly new diet thing, or like this month we're not eating this stuff, and then we realize actually that's not the thing. Now we're going to eat this thing, and you're thrown all over looking for satisfaction, looking for hope, looking for something to fix something. They saw this culturally in Ephesus as people were thrown between these little um, cults that were being created, these little religious pockets, and you kind of go to one, and if it wasn't working, you literally go the next day to a different one. People would stand actually in public, and there'd be two people sharing two different views, and you kind of go and then like pick which one worked, and then it, then you, you go there. So there's this tossing back and forth of what to, to know, what to believe, how to live a life. Oh, I, I felt that so often. 
I don't know what to think is a phrase I feel myself saying. And they're saying, you have this place in Christ that is a foundation and is steady and does not throw us back and forth. Does not change. Brings life. And we can help one another grow into that and be strong in that so we no longer tossed around. It says, instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So what does this look like? It looks like we speak truth, this unchanging thing in love, and that grows us into mature body, a, a group together. And from him, the whole body joined together, together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love this phrase, truth in love. We hear this other ways in truth and grace. Jesus comes and speaks in truth and grace. Tim Keller says it uh, really well. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. So just love without truth, it supports and affirms but it can keep us in denial about our flaws. It, it doesn't want to say, hey, maybe this isn't right. Maybe you're dead without Christ. Maybe you're following the passions of your flesh and just your heart, and it's not actually leading. You don't want to say that because you just want to support and affirm. But truth without love, so now there's no love, it's just truth, is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way they cannot really be heard. It might even be true information. could even be helpful information. Yes, this is what they need to hear, but if it comes without love, there's a harshness. And in fact, it's like it causes us to plug our ears and say, I, I don't want to hear that because I don't, I don't, it doesn't come with love. We kind of float our truth to someone with love. There's like a raft and it's love. We throw the truth out there and it gets to them, but without it, it kind of sinks. It doesn't make it. I felt this, right? I felt this in my life where someone just had to give me hard truth, but I didn't even know them. You ever had someone who doesn't know you tell you something and you think, I probably need to hear that, but I don't care because I don't know who you are. I don't know if you care about me. I've had people be very loving. Hey, man, and then later I go like, I wish you had just said, you shouldn't be dating that person, <laughs> but you're trying to be, like, I, I need this combination of this, Right? God's saving, loving Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are, yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to the truth about ourselves and, and uh, repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. We used to say this uh, in youth ministry that we'd, uh, you build a relational bridge in order to, to get truth to someone. And really, we were, we're talking about this. We're saying you might just need to spend some time loving someone before they're going to allow truth to come over to them. And so this is where, where uh, Paul is trying to tell us. I hope we often use the term matter and matter. Matter and manner. Those are very close, right? Two T's and two N's. Matter and manner matter. So the actual contents of what we're saying and the way we're saying it both matter to a discussion. This is much of where we see fighting, much of where we see hurt, much of where we see people dismissed right now. Today you'll see that. The way someone said something is really the reason why someone's resisting it, not necessarily even what they're saying. 
or, or what they're saying, but in a way that isn't helpful, right? We see this all the time. Lynn Kohick, uh, who we've been uh, loving her commentary, says, uh, this reminds us that Jesus has given us the vitamins for strength and the people to pass those vitamins on. That's how she summarizes this passage. I love it. Can you imagine that? He's given us the vitamins that strengthen us, which we see again, right? In here, we see in the same story of Jesus giving it to the people and they're gonna strengthen in this gift of grace that is truth, sometimes very hard to hear, but in love, which you can only do when in community and in relationship with one another. And so this passage ends, from him the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He's trying to encourage us in this truth The King Jesus has come. He's defeated death, sin, Satan. He's freed his captives. That's us. And now he's even given us to us as gifts that will build the church and build the world around us. We we are the hope of the world, not because our church is really great. We're actually a lot of sinners who are really broken, but we're bringing with us the one and the grace that saves and rescues. So we get to be a church. We get to be joined together by Christ. We get to be builders and growers. This is our hope each week that we would leave here thankful and encouraged and built up. Leaving with that spirit in us to the fullness of Christ. Um, this is something that it, it, we see all the time in our church um, in messy, broken ways, but we together, we see this. We see this, I hear these stories in, um, in our small groups where people just go and let's feel cared for, feel known, feel loved. They'll say, hey, I, I, these people love me and so they're able to speak this thing into my life. They're able to say, hey, I don't know if this is helpful. And those might be the only people who could have said that because I know they love me, they're still with me. I saw this recently, very small way. Uh, Michaela and Nathan got engaged a few weeks ago. And uh, before they came to church, someone said to me just last week, I hope I see Michaela. I can't wait to tell her how excited I am that she's engaged. That's really small, right? But that's kind of big. That's an opportunity to build up. That's someone saying, I can't wait to build her up and encourage her in that. I saw this uh, uh, almost, what, a month ago now? At Nimi and Colin's wedding. As I went to the wedding, I thought, I hope we see other hope people. We saw their whole small group at the wedding, hanging out. They're so encouraged by that. Together, they get to celebrate that moment together, build each other up in that. I've seen that in silent hugs on a Sunday morning when you could just see someone having a day, one of those days where it was like everything they had just to get here and someone up not even saying, just come up and give them a hug. an incredible act of love. Hear words to that person like, you're loved. God's still with you. Like truth that might be really hard to hear in that moment, but really needed by someone who loves you and cares for you. We get to be people who build each other. One of those ways we do that um, is having people who, who are servant leaders who want to just see all of us grow. And we actually had a, a little bit of a historic week here at, at uh, Hope Heights. This week we confirmed, for the first time, we confirmed just our own Hope Heights elders. 
So I'm gonna bring those, uh, those three gentlemen up. They're somewhere in the room. So this week, for the first time, this is, a, this is a big deal. We confirmed our first elders here. You can cheer for that. That's a, that's a big deal. This is uh, Jordan Anderson and Aaron Robertson and Jared Severson. They all have very similar names. <laughs> sons. They're all sons of John and Sever. Um, these three men have uh, went on a, taken a long journey. There's some mics there. We're going to have you guys share a little bit. but uh, Have taken many, many months, almost a year now, to, uh, to, to gather, gather, and pray. These are men who have already been shepherding and caring for God's flock. They care deeply, deeply for you. Um, pray for you often. And so this week, our church, from our elders of all of hope, and through uh, many of you confirming this, we voted as members, and we confirmed them. And so they're officially your first elder team. You guys, you're, weird, you're weirding me out being behind me over here. <laughs> creeps me out. I guess that is your job. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to have each of them just share really quickly why um, they want to be a shepherd, a, a servant leader. Here at Hope, we consider our elders servant leaders, ones who care for the flock, shepherd people, protect, speak truth in love, but are, are with us. Other just sheep who want the best and want to build us up. And so I want to have each of you share a little bit of why you're going to do that. Maybe your hope for hope, your hope for hope. <laughs> the vision of hope, and then we want to pray. I want our first thing to do together as an elder team is to pray for our church. And so I'm excited we get to do this together right now. You can start. Right. Uh, so I'm Aaron Robertson, along with my bride, Erica, and my four kids. We've been going to Hope for about 12 years now. Uh, started way back when uh, there was actually still room to sit in uh, Hope West. If you, you've been around that long, you, like before you had to fight for seats and sit on stairs, and uh, we preceded that. So we've uh, we've loved Hope. We've loved our time there. We've been uh, blessed and encouraged through a lot of good things and hard things, uh, cared for really well by uh, friends and by uh, pastors and elders at Hope. And, um, so being a part of Hope Heights now, uh, I feel uh, an honor or privilege to, to be asked to show some of that same care, some of that same love, some of that uh, same hope and shared life together uh, with you all. So, yeah, very grateful. I'm Jordan Anderson, uh, along with uh, my wife Emily and then uh, Ellie and Kenna. Uh, my wife and I actually met at Hope in 2007, and so our uh, whole togetherness as a family has been at Hope. And so this place is extremely special to us, near and dear to us, um, and uh, similar. Uh, just extremely humbled, uh, very excited, slightly terrified, all, all the emotions um, to, to now be an elder for, for Hope Heights. And so... Uh, if I don't know you, uh, I want to meet you. Um, and if I do know you, um, I'll meet you again. I don't know. So. A lot of suspense here. There we go. Uh, my name is Jared Severson. Uh, this is my family here, my wife, Natty, uh, my oldest son, Aaron, uh, my next, Zach, and then my daughter, Hannah. Um, <clears throat> these guys kind of... I can echo everything that they said. Um, Natty and I have been going to Hope for, 
I don't know, let's see, Aaron's 20 years old, so 21 years old, or 21 years. Um, we started downtown, or well, used to be at the U of M campus when it was a really small congregation and we really felt built up and we felt loved by our congregation. And so um, I'm excited to just give that back. I, I like, I, we are super excited about this Heights um, church starting here. Uh, we've lived in Columbia Heights for 21 years now as well. And uh, we've, we've grown to love our community. We first, you know, moved in and we wanted to, had plans on moving out, you know, as soon as our kids got older and got to school and wanted that bigger yard and things like that. But we really fell in love with our neighbors and fell in love with this community. And so I'm super excited to um, serve in this capacity and, you know, help us within this, you know, congregation build each other up, but then also overflow that love to our community and make our neighbors and our, you know, friends and our, you know, teachers uh, feel loved and feel welcomed as well. So um, I'm excited for that along with, with these guys too. Thank you. Um, so as I said, I, I wanted our first thing to do uh, is to pray for our church um, and that God would fill us with his fullness. So we'll just go down the line. You want to start? Jared, we'll pray over our church and then we're going to take a time after we pray, we're going to take a time to, um, to worship together. And so we do that here by singing. Uh, there'll be people available in the back of the room if you want prayer. We have people every week who just love to be able to prayer, build you up in that way. Uh, pray. And then there's also communion out, outside in the hallway. We can have food or drink in here, so it's out in the hallway, which is communion is, a, is an opportunity to be reminded of our King Jesus who gave his life, who rescued us from captivity and um, be reminded of that. Actually, even the word communion we use is like community. And so it's a thing we do together. It binds us together and reminds us that we're all gathered around that good, great shepherd of him. So I encourage you to do all those things as we end here in prayer uh, uh, for our church. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people in it um, and know that that's what makes up the church. It's not the building. It's not the location. Um, it's, it's the people. And we just pray that we are a community of believers that love each other, that want to see um, just how your gifts are used by, you know, each individual here just to share your love with each other and with the larger community around us. And so uh, we just pray that, again, that we are a community that overflows, um, a community of believers that overflow to the greater Columbia Heights community. Um, and just show our neighbors love. Father, uh, <clears throat> your word says that uh, an abundant life can be found in Jesus. Um, and it's not necessarily uh, promised to be an easy life, uh, but it is an abundant life. And so I pray uh, for our church this morning that uh, our foundation would be on the rock that is Jesus. Uh, that when storms come, because storms will come, when storms come, uh, the house will still stand. Uh, it will not be shaken. That our foundation is not uh, on something that uh, is fragile, but it is, it is on your Son, Jesus Christ, and empowered by your Spirit and that this would be a hallmark of our church that we are we are founded uh on the gospel of jesus and as jared mentioned 
out of that, out of the truth, out of the realities of the gospel, that we can overflow and extend uh, the love and grace and the mercy and the justice uh, that's found in the gospel to our neighbors, to our city, to our community. Father, I know my soul's own need for love and forgiveness and grace and mercy Mm -hmm. and truth, Uh, and you've granted that to me through son, but I I can think of no better place, no better people uh, to go on that journey with than with uh, these people here. So I I thank you uh, for the love and grace and truth that's been spoken into my life, into my children's life, into my marriage um, through the years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I pray, Father, that uh, we would be a people that loves one another well, uh, that we would uh, speak truth in love, that we'd be tender and kind, long-suffering, Father, that we would be uh, patient, that we'd uplift one another in prayer, that we would serve one another, Father. And um, yeah, I just I just pray that we would uh, become a city on a hill, a uh, lamp on a lampstand here in Columbia Heights, Father, that uh, your word would go forth and not return void, that uh, the gospel would be proclaimed, that the love of God would be known uh, amongst our neighbors uh, in this school uh, and all the other people that uh, come and go through Columbia Heights. Uh, we just thank you for this chance to uh, be gathered this morning. Uh, it was a delight to see smiles and faces uh, walking in this morning. And just uh, thank you for that, even, and uh, for my own memory of names, knowing how much it'll be helped. Uh, in that little thing and yeah just pray that you'd uh yeah continue to be at work with us father i um love this uh, church and these people and i pray uh, as paul prayed that out of your glorious riches you would strengthen us with power through your spirit and our inner being so that christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and i pray that you being rooted and established in love that we may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And out of him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has a work within us, to him be glory in the church and this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen.